Welcome to Harvest Talk, the podcast of Harvest Community Church in Goshen, Indiana. Harvest is a community church with a vision to change the world, and we do that by reaching people and building their lives. For more information on Harvest Community Church, please check out our website, hccgoshen.org. And I am Pastor Jeremy, and as always, it's an honor to spend a little bit of time with you uh, today. And today we are going into episode two of our series called uh, Social Media Integrity, uh, Walking with Jesus Through a Social Dilemma. And in this uh, series, I am uh, kind of introduced it last week, talking about how my attitudes and perspective on social media is changing uh, after being uh, introduced to the uh, Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. And uh, I kind of said that in doing some research and studying on this issue, kind of coming away with three takeaways that I want to explain over the next few weeks. I want to get into a deep explanation for why I believe this way. Uh, takeaway number one is that if you are a parent of a teenager who currently has social media, get them off of it. Like, like get them off of it now. It actually could save their life. Number two, if you are a parent of a preteen that is not yet on social media, do not allow them to get on social media and do not allow them to be on it until after they leave your house, so to speak, um, in terms of like they've turned 18, they're out on their own, they're an adult, etc. The third takeaway is that if you uh, use social media as your primary source of news consumption to stop, to take a break, and to dilute that influence a little bit. And I kind of outlined the foundation for why I believe these things uh, in the last podcast. And then, um, and I'm going to go on over the next few weeks to get into all of those things more. But at the end of the last podcast, I, uh, I specifically kind of honed in on the teenage issue, the, the mental health of teenagers. And so I wanted to bring in our uh, 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 soon-to-be staff pastor, uh, Corey Whitmer. Uh, he's been working with our youth here for quite some time. And Corey, is, uh, he'll be coming on staff in about a month, and he currently is working in the area of uh, teenage mental health in the Elkhart County uh, juvenile justice system. And so he's got a background in this, this issue, and he's going to explain that in my conversation with him. And so today's conversation is a little bit technical. We get into some of the details of the development of, the, uh, of, the, of, our, of our brains and why it, how it interacts with an influence like social media. But I really encourage you to listen to it because it gives some really good science in understanding the dilemma that we're facing. And so without any further introduction, here is my conversation with Corey Whitmer. Well, we are here uh, with uh, Corey Whitmer, who is, among other things, our newest, about to be our newest uh, staff pastor here at Harvest. Uh, in a couple of weeks, he'll be joining, uh, to much to his detriment and demise, no, just kidding, uh, with, uh, with uh, Jim and me and others as part of our full-time staff. He's been working with our youth uh, now for um, uh, almost three years, two years voluntarily, and another year kind of part-time. Um, and I know he's been helpful in actually helping me understand just some of the technological ends of navigating social media with, um, with my teenage uh, daughter. And so, but just to kind of, uh, kind of help us out so that people don't think that I just brought in the, uh, part-time youth pastor to talk about kids. Um, not that that's anything wrong with that, but this, we're going to get into very technical aspects. So why don't you... Uh, kind of tell us what you're doing now, what your background is in mental health, and just kind of explain a little bit about your expertise. Yeah, so um, I started out working with teenagers in, in church setting and um, eventually ended up working with uh, 
kids who were at a residential facility and decided, you know what, I want to learn more about this, this counseling thing, learn more about what's kind of going on with these kids. And so I, I went back to school and got my master's in mental health counseling, clinical mental health counseling. And from there, the things that really intrigued me the most was kind of the way the brain works. Mm-hmm. And so over the last, I would say probably seven years, I have really kind of dug into, you know, what's going on in the brain? What is the development of the brain? I've gone to several different trainings. And um, every time I, I go to a conference or a training, I try to find that one thing that has to do with brain development. Uh, and recently there's been a whole lot of data coming out about um, the social media, about how, how the brain is developing, how teenagers and how their their brains are impacted by different things right. out there. So right. that's kind of where I'm coming from. Currently, I, uh, well, yeah, currently. Right, be, yeah, still currently. Soon to be not currently. Um, I work at Oaklawn, uh, for Oaklawn, and I work with juveniles who are in the uh, criminal justice system. Right. So, and so you're evaluating teenage mental health constantly. Yeah, right. It's kind of right down your field. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, to set us up to jump into this, uh, I remember about, it was almost 20 years ago, actually, reading a book uh, by a very well-known person that worked with youth talking about brain development among teenagers. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it really is a deceptive thing on the outside looking in because you've got, you know, your, your oldest and my oldest about the same age, very mature uh, teenagers for their age, and you see the responsibilities they take on. It becomes real easy to approach them as adults. They kind of physically almost look like adults. Uh, sometimes their processing seems to be adult-ish. And yet when you pull back the developmental deal, uh, it's not that way with the brain. That The development of the brain is something else is going on. It's very valuable, and yet it would be a mistake to think that they're fully mature. So let's talk, talk a little bit about the development of the brain uh, in that preteen going into teenage years and what's going on there. Yeah, um, and I, I've, I've done trainings before where I start out with, listen, when you, when you come up to a teenager, when you're interacting with the teenager, they look like an adult. Mm-hmm. Many of them, as, especially as they get to be 16, 17, 18 years old, they look like adults. Right. Uh, but what's going on inside is very, very not the same that is going on with an adult. So right. I'm kind of going to take this back a little bit farther sure. than just adolescence. Because I think we need to understand where we're coming from to see where the where teenagers are and then to see where they're going from there. So during early childhood, our brain is making lots of connections. I mean, early childhood, there's just, it's building connections constantly. Right. And the brain is growing at a, just a very rapid pace. And when, when you get to around adolescence, the, the brain begins to prune some of those. So, um, and we use the word prune because it's very much like gardening. When, right. when you prune a bush, you're, you're trimming off extra branches, extra parts in order to strengthen others. Okay. And that's what our brain does naturally during early childhood. It's just growing all these connections, many, many different connections. And then once it gets close to adolescence, it starts to say, okay, which, which of these are necessary? Which mm-hmm. of these do I need? Okay. And which don't I need? And the ones that I need, I'm going to strengthen. The ones that I don't need, we're going to start to get rid of those. So that's kind of where, in general, the, the brain is at. And from birth through adulthood, our brain is going through different, uh, different development at different points and different parts of the brain. Mm. We say, in general, the brain develops from back to front. Okay. So when you're born, 
your brainstem is basically fully developed. And the brainstem is that life, like mm. keeping you alive, okay. breathing, heart rate, body temperature, those types of things. The mechanical, that, if you will, functions yeah, of, yes, the, of like life. Okay. The very basic, like survival. Right. Uh, and then from birth to age one, you have the cerebellum, which is, you know, towards the back of the brain. And that is responsible for balance and coordination. Okay. We yeah. see that with, mm -hmm. you know, that first year of life. Right. Crawling. Yeah. You know, zero to walking toys. in 14 months yeah. and all that. Right. Yeah. So th those basic major motor skills from birth to two, the occipital load is what's developing. And that is the visual processing, okay. the tracking, you know, seeing things, connecting what I see with, with words, connecting what I see with what I know and, and those types of things, the visual piece from birth to age six, the parietal lobe is, is developing. And that's, that's the language and okay. touch. So what does this feel like? Is this hot? Is this cold? Uh, what are the words to describe the things that I'm seeing, the things that I'm doing and building language? We see obviously <laughs> young kids are developing a vocabulary. Right. And, that's, and it's also somewhat explanatory. If you got children that live in a bilingual house or a trilingual house, it yeah. just happens. It's yeah. not, it's not a challenge, if you will. That's why they say it's the best time to learn another language right. when they're young, young. Right, uh, right. Because that's the part of the brain that is actively developing. Sure. So by age six, we, we have this survival, we have balance and coordination, we have visual processing, uh, and we have language. So those, those things are all mostly developed okay. by the age of six. Uh, then the temporal lobe... Uh, is, is also developing birth to six in the limbic, limbic system from about eight, eight months to six years old. And this is the hearing, learning, and emotions okay. part of, of your, your brain. And, and this is where I'm going to get to later talking about the amygdala. And this is where the amygdala is. The amygdala is the emotion okay. center of the brain. And okay. so really from, from by six years old, we got a lar large part of our basic abilities are, are developed. And then around, around three to age 12, the frontal lobe, um, which is not quite the very front, but just behind that, um, is, is being developed. That's thought, that's memory, that's behavior, that's concrete thinking. So think of like your basic facts. Sure. Um, this is like math. ABCs, like, math. One, this, yeah. one plus one is two. Right. Like colors. Very concrete thinking right. is happening. That's in that why age. in the preschool age they hit those things so repetitively because you're, 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 that's when they should be formulating them. Yeah. Okay. And so you get to adolescence and you have this basic understanding of how life works. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. I, I know how to live. I know how to talk. I know how to, you know, kind of um, make basic sense of, of what's going on in my world. Sure. Around age 12... Uh, is where we start to see more activity and development in the prefrontal cortex, which is the very front of our brain. Okay. And this is the judgment and rational thinking okay. part of our brain. So this is where, <laughs> <laughs> eight, and, and we're saying now, they say age 12 to 28 is right. when this is developing. Sure. They're saying you're really not fully developed. Your brain isn't fully developed until 25 to 28 years right. old. Right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, for most of us, there's a few of us that people still question once you hit 40, 45, but yeah, <laughs> so, eh, we say in general, in general, yeah, <laughs> ish. <laughs> so so you, you can start to put together here, right. you have a fully developed, um, understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. You have a fully developed, like, okay, hot and cold and, 
and you have fully developed concrete thinking and emotions are, are getting fully developed, but you're still lacking in the judgment, judgment area. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we that makes sense. Yeah. We Enter every teenager and college student we've right. ever met. Right, right that's, right. that's why we say teenagers are emotional. Yeah. Because we see this, um, the amygdala is, mm-hmm. is that mo- emotional center of the brain. It is fully developed and it is essentially driving things. Right. Um, it's almost like if you think of gears, like the amygdala, amygdala is a large gear at this point mm-hmm. and your prefrontal cortex is a small gear. Right. And so that amygdala is spinning really fast. That smaller gear is going to be spinning. Even, like it's right, driving. Even faster. Got it. It's yeah. driving that. Yeah, yeah. You can't keep up. Right. So, um, the emotions are what's driving things in the teenage years, and that that's why we get this stereotype of teenagers are emotional. Right. And right. Um, there's science behind it. That's the reason they're emotional. Right. 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 There's yeah. there's actually some science there. And 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 I'm assuming part of what's going on even during this point is the brain is learning, if you will, judgment and appropriate emotions. You know, it's kind of like, all right, something happens, there's this, that, and then what part of the pruning process that continues is trying to fit emotions in in context as we're getting older and how to respond to that. Right, and that's where it's actually the role of adults, parents, to serve as that prefrontal cortex. That's what we do. That's how we teach our kids is, they blow up emotionally right. and we say, Hey, let's think this through. Right. You know, we help them talk it through. We help them walk it through. It's right. our, our role is to be their prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So like when we're, you know, younger, when they're younger, our, our role is very much physical protection and introducing right. the foundations of life. Then they cross into that 12 to 18 year old and, and, and they kind of understand a, a good chunk of a lot of those things, how to live and how to survive. But now it's our, our job to kind of siphon the proper emotions, if you will, into a context they can understand. Right. Very good. Very good. And so, uh, and so then we, so, so that's what's going on. This is, this is judgment. This is emotions. This, I would assume a sense of self identity right. is very strong in that, that area. Okay. So then enter social media and, uh, why is this the firestorm that it is? I mean, I, I meant to bring the stats with me, but I mentioned it, um, in the last, uh, podcast, you know, we're starting to see depression, we're starting to anxiety, we're starting to see uh, suicide and, and mutilation, those kinds of things going up astronomical. It's interesting, before I'll let you answer the question, but yeah. one thing that, you know, occasionally there's these, these psychological fads, if you will. I mean, they're legitimate things, but then they maybe get overdiagnosed, you know, ADHD, and there's right. times where they've been, is this overdiagnosed? I was listening to one doctor that mentioned yeah, you could call it that. The problem is, is that these suicide rates and these teen mutilation rates, that is an overdiagnosis. Those are hardcore facts. And so this is legitimately an issue. Right. So, so how does that work? How, how does the firestorm get created, if you will? So you think about where, where the brain development is and logic is slower to engage. So when, it, when a teenager is scrolling through their social media, um, the logic doesn't engage as quick as what the emotions do. Sure. So you see something that triggers an emotion, right? You're going to emotionally react a lot quicker than you will logically. And so you may see something and it triggers an emotion and you respond quickly with an emotion, angry words, um, blocking someone, whatever, right? That emotional reaction isn't tempered by the logical process and wait, let me think this through. Right. 
And so what does that happen? What, what then, what's so, then because the result of that? So then you see this spreading of, of misinformation, spreading like gossip and rumors and um, anger and bullying and all that stuff that happens on Facebook and, and on social media in general, that it's, it's a, uh, I can't, I can't control my emotional response. And so it just comes out. Right. Uh, and where this is where I'm going to talk a little bit more later, but this is where like in person, if I start to say something mean to you, I see your hurt reaction. I see right. your body response. Right. And that triggers then pull back. Yeah, that, right, pull that, back that, or, that triggers my or go harder depending on how much you don't like the person. Right. 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 But it, it serves as a little bit of that rational thinking when you right. see someone's response. Right. On social media, you're not seeing the response. Right. And and to some degree then what, what happens is is uh you're adding a degree of permanency to what in reality was meant to be an emotionally exploratory reaction. Right. And uh and you know that that written word or that can't be undone the way yeah and all of a sudden they screenshot that and then bam yeah exactly even if you delete your comment they may have right did it and and, uh yeah exactly or the you know the the offhanded sarcastic comment it's all there it's the the likes the no likes then and okay so then how does that shape identity and moods How, how does that start to shape their who they perceive themselves to be in in this world all right so teen teenagers in general, they want relationship. Okay, that's that's where the the emotions, their the emotional um, drive, along with that physical touch and that that desire for developing those pieces of their life, uh, they want those relationships. And so, uh, we've always known teenagers value their peers more than their parents. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Your kids get to a certain age, and all of a sudden, you're not as important anymore. Right. Right. And so. During, during those years, their peers become a big influence on them. Generally speaking, their peers are those that are within the same community. Sure. Within the same community, we can generally say the same community has the same values. In general. Sure. I mean, there's, there's some variances to that, and there's, there's some differences, but you can say your peers have the same values sure. as you. So in other words, yeah, so you know, my daughter goes to the school her peer group that she has chosen to interact with as a general rule are people that she perceives to think like her value academics, maybe the same way. And there's interaction because she's got her sports friends. She's got her, but generally speaking, she's selecting her group of friends based on these perceived values. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So now we add in social media and their peer group is now no longer just, you know, the 20, 30, 40 people around them. Their peer group is, millions of people they may or may not know right millions of people that may or may not share those same values beliefs may or may not be in the same um even close to the same ideological structure as they are sure uh so now you have this input from millions rather than input from a select group right this drives identity because now you have all these millions of people and you add into that that in those millions of people are celebrities and influencers and uh, people who who want to get to you, advertisers, people that want to tell you how to think, right? And and you're in this very vulnerable place in your life, right? Because so, again, their emotions and their judgment is not formulated, right? So the person that's a good friend of the person they met at K 
camp who happen to be suggested as their friend and they've seen them once and they like their picture and they hit follow all of a sudden gets invited into this discussion. And because the more friends you have, the cooler you are. Cooler you are. I want to have more friends. So I'm just going to friend, 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 friend. Right. Because look at me. Now I have thousands of friends rather than just. And then the same pressures that they feel the same pressures that any teenager might feel in her in his or her group of 10 or 15 also he or she feels for hundreds thousands potentially yeah yeah okay so it it multiplies exponentially Right. right and then you also have the fact that teenagers are looking to be independent. They're now that's developing. That that cognitive structure is developing. They want to be independent. What a messed up world. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be liked and they want to be independent at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're they want to step away from their parents. They want to find their own identity. So they don't necessarily want to go to their parents. So they're gonna go somewhere else. Again, generally that's gonna be their friends, that's gonna be their teachers, that's gonna be maybe a counselor or a pastor or you know, a family friend, somebody within their general community. Sure. But now you have them going to anyone out there who will listen and looking for the opinions of anyone. And and they find someone that gives them an opinion that feels good or an opinion that, hey, I kind of like that. And it may not be anywhere near what, what their value system is. Right. And right. they don't have that judgment. They don't have that cognitive processing ability to say, wait, this doesn't fit in with what I've learned and where I am. Right. And then, uh, you know, I, I realized mood is a little bit different than identity. Um, it was interesting. I, uh, just yesterday, um, 60 minutes came out with a piece from a, a Facebook whistleblower. Yeah. And, uh, allegedly one of the things that the whistleblower said is that in Instagram, some 17, 18% of girls on Instagram say they're more depressed mm-hmm. when they're on their Instagram account. And yet that group of people increasingly uses it more. Right. So, so does that make sense to you? And then talk a little bit about how that would, how that it could be explained in terms of moods and behaviors with, with teenagers consuming these types of things. Yeah. So mood, mood is kind of tricky because there's lots of things that impact our mood. And, you know, sometimes even as adults, we can't say exactly why we're feeling what we're feeling. Right. Uh-huh. But teens today who are on social media have to be on all the time. And I say on. Like, right. Uh, think about, you know, before social media, you would be around your friends and it would be maybe during the school day you'd be around your friends or during sports you'd be around your friends. But then you'd go home. Right. And you could shut off. Right. You didn't have to live up to those expectations all the time. You didn't have to keep up your appearances all the time. You could go home and breathe. Right. The teenagers today have to be on all the time because they're always on social media. They're always, it, their, their influences are constantly there. And, and we can even broaden this out to say cell phones and, and texting because right. your friends can text you anytime, day or night. Right, 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 right. <laughs> get a hold of you if there's not restrictions on your phone that shut, and, shut it down. And those off times really are great places to put things into context. Right. You know, I think, I think that's actually, I was, I just realized that, you know, this weekend my daughter had a bad day, uh, came home 
and was explaining, you know, did her dump, you know, this is what's right. going on. And then all of a sudden I realized she's not on social media, so she can put it aside and we can come back. But, but if it's in your hand, she would constantly be getting feedback of other opinions of herself and then feeling the need to respond right. uh, to that feedback to shape her image of herself. And it's not just the feedback of her friends at right. school. It, yeah. It's going to be that feedback from potentially millions. Right. <laughs> telling right. her what to think and what to believe about herself. Right. So what is this doing? What is this doing to their brain and, 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 uh, and those kinds of things? Um, so... We look at, we, we've seen an increase of depression. I've, I've, you talked about that right. last week. From, from the advent of social media, we have seen depression just skyrocket. And especially in pandemic. the young girls. Yeah, young girls. And then you add on the pandemic on yeah. top of that. Like, it's like a perfect storm. You got to right. send everybody home. They're on devices if they're doing uh, school. So they're on the device more than they right. should. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. And most of them would then put their social media on their device right? because, hey, it's easy access. And yeah. Now you're constantly on your device because you have to be for school right? and your social media is right there, so you're constantly getting that input uh, and that is developing your brain. That is um, triggering these things. And, and we look at the, the adolescent's response, um, the brain response to stimuli. It's interesting. We talk about uh, rewards and consequences a lot when we talk about um, teaching kids and adolescents respond quicker to rewards than they do consequences. Mm. Um, Interesting. Children and adolescents, as as they grow through adolescence, consequences become more and more um, of a of a thing. Sure. But in early adolescence, rewards react huh. faster than consequences do, and so you have these these adolescent brains that seek reward and and give little thought to the consequence you put that on social media that right. gives reward and gives little consequence and so they every time they swipe every time they they like something every time they post something they're getting a little hit of of a reward they're getting a little bit of dopamine that, that hits in their brain because every time you swipe you see something new right and the more you know we, we look at the the social dilemma and what they talk about with their algorithm right it's giving you more and more of what you want. So you're seeing more of what you want. Right. And you're getting another hit of dopamine, another hit of dopamine. Um, dopamine is that the feel good chemical. Right. That makes right. you, hey, yeah. I like this. I like this. Um, and so every time they swipe, it's another reward. It's another reward. And they post something out there and they get a like and they get another like and they get another like. And, and it's these, this reward. I mean, we feel it too. When you post something, a lot of people like <laughs> right. it. It's like, yeah. I love that. I posted something today. No one's liked it. I'm, <laughs> get on my account now. My self-esteem is in trouble. Um, yeah. And you amplify. I mean, oh, yeah, you, yeah. You feel it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you amplify that for a teenager whose emotions are running the show. Right. And, you know, it, it really causes a lot of problems. Right. Because now they're seeking the reward. And these these apps, these social media programs are designed to give reward right. and it can really very, very quickly go from just a, a, um, just a swipe to an addiction Sure, and, and can turn from, um, Oh yeah, I look at my social media and I put it down to, I have to be looking at it and I, it never leaves my hand. And 
and it can get really scary really quick. Yeah. 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 And we, and we, we absolutely, uh, uh, we absolutely, uh, see that. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking through my notes. I'm not sure where we are now. <laughs> we can't skip around. <laughs> we did. Um, okay. So, and then, and then the other thing you're starting to see now are certain behaviors that teens may engage in over time. Um, they have a harder time really processing that due to kind of where they're getting getting caught. I mean, right. I know you know it's very difficult to talk about gender dysphoria these days, um, but in in reality, that is something that psychologically, at least by stuff I've been reading almost every single teenager at some point in time has these questions about gender orientation right. and all that kind of stuff. But now with the social media it's becoming more, di- actually more difficult for them to make the informed decisions that most teenagers make with this area over time. Yeah. And what's interesting there, Abigail Schreier wrote a book. Uh, it's um, irreconcilable or irreversible, irreversible damage. Right. Um, and, and she talks in there, she's, it's about gender dysphoria and how it's impacting young girls specifically. Uh, And it's interesting as, as she starts to spell out this problem, she starts to say, you know, you look at gender dysphoria and gender dysphoria is a clinical diagnosis. Right. Okay. And that is it. There are very, very specific clinical symptoms that have to be present for that. And most of those symptoms have to do with early on in childhood most of those symptoms have to do with they've experienced these things from early on all the way through. And it's generally not diagnosed, uh, or I mean, it's generally first diagnosed in adolescence, but generally you see adults dealing with gen- gender dysphoria. Sure. Um, but she talks about how this has been a growing and growing diagnosis among young girls because you see it put out more and more and more on social media and it's become a, a cultural thing rather than a clinical thing. Sure. And so now you're having people, people who start to identify with um, the opposite gender or people who start to say, uh, I don't know that I really fit within my gender normally before, before the internet, before social media influenced their thinking. Right it would have been something they experience. Maybe they go to a counselor to talk about it. Maybe they talk to their pastor. Maybe they talk to their parents, but they would have experienced those things Mm -hmm. and generally just moved on. Sure. Generally it would have been, I don't know that I fit in the girl stereotype. Right. And you know, especially eight to 13 year old girls, Mm -hmm. you know, because some eight (laughs) to 13 year old girls are rougher and tougher than others. Exactly. They're like, Maybe I'm not, I don't fit into the girly girl stereotype. Right. And they would have experienced that, but then they would have grown and been like, oh, not all girls have to be girly girls. Right. I can be a girl and I can be right. tough. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't always have to have braids. I don't right. always have to play with dolls. I can, I can be a girl and play sports. Listen, and, uh, I, I, I remember um, getting viciously tackled by a, a girl because <laughs> ta- we used to play tackle football back before there were lawyers and uh, <laughs> youth group and, and she just would not play too antag and so she absolutely took me out and she was strong enough to do it and, and it's not the stereotype but right. you know and, uh, and so the, and the, the problem and, and, and obviously we're approaching this from a biblical perspective where we believe there's beauty 
in how God created each gender, and we we assign that to their birth sex. But even if you're not coming from from that worldview, just for a moment, the, the real problem is is that scientifically for hundreds of years, we've known that these are questions that teenagers are asking during their development. And in the way their brain develops and the way the way things work, they can actually answer those questions for themselves over a period of time. And the really confusing problems, the ones that cause the real psychological trauma, are very narrow. Right. And now what's happening is social media with these algorithms is giving them an avenue where the narrowness of those psychological problems have been shoved down into the mainstream. And because they lack judgment, they're something that most of them would process through right. is now becoming a form of identity. Yeah. They're getting people, they, they put those issues out there on social media and they have people that are quick to respond and say, Oh no, this is who you are. Right. That assign them right. who they are. And they're like, well, that fits with what I'm feeling. Right. So that must be true. Right. Right. Because, it's an emotion. It's what I feel. Right. And what I feel is true. Right. And and, and and this isn't the only issue. I mean, we're seeing that right. we're seeing that constantly in, you know, in all all you know, you you opened up with emotion and judgment. I mean, that's what the whole TikTok challenge thing is going on at the middle school that's right. shutting down bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. It's hey, this is cool. Let's rip up toilet off. Right. Um, that, that again goes back to the likes. Yeah. Oh, I saw, you know, this person stole soap dispenser and they got a hundred likes. I'm going to go knock a toilet off the wall and maybe I'll get a thousand likes. Right. It's, I want more. I want more. I have to get more. And and it's driving that reward. Right. Okay. And so then, uh, uh, let me just, let me just ask you then, um, you know, I told, I told my last podcast just straight up told parents, get them off social media now don't let them on until they're out of your house or they're an adult and uh don't ever let them on am i crazy <laughs> no okay good uh, i mean i the, the, I... the clinical psychologist says i'm not crazy <laughs> i want that i want that on record someone has psychologist well you know I'll, I'll, i promoted you and then demoted you <laughs> <laughs> uh, clinical mental health counselor yeah the mental health there counselor tells them i'm okay uh no, I, I 100% agree with that. I don't think kids should be on social media because it is just too risky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's benefits. I totally see the benefits. There's social connection. You know, you can um, plan things with your friends. You can share things with your friends. You can laugh. You can do those things, but there's just too many risks. Sure. When, when I sit back and look at it, I say the risks that are there are just way out outweigh the the positives, the, the benefits. And yeah. so I would, we've told our kids they can't have social media of any kind uh, until they're out of the house right? Uh, because that's just where we land on the issue. And, and the benefit I assume here is, is a couple of things in taking them off. Number one, it allows just pragmatically, it allows the brain that a time to develop and learn how to put things in context. And, and then the other thing that I think you, you said very powerfully is even though during this time, time frame, it's normal for teens to want to be independent of their parents, we still have an incredibly valuable role in creating that protection and guidance in terms of the judgment zone. Right. And so delaying it, you know, they're much more apt at 18, 19, 20 
should they elect to get on social media to start being able to filter through those things versus 10, 11, 12? They've given themselves, you know, more, more time to develop that judgment. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say, you know, if your kids are already on social media, uh, take them off and it's going to be a fight. I yeah. guarantee it. I mean, it's, it's not going to be a smooth, easy thing, but I also guarantee you'll be glad you did because if, if, you may have a fight in the beginning, but you're going to save your, your kid from a lot of, of hurt and a lot of just problems down the road. Right. And we just, we see too much, um, too much increased mental health problems, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, uh, suicide attempts, things like that because of social media that, um, You'll you'll be glad you did. I, I didn't I didn't bring this up earlier, but I'll just I'll just throw it in there because I think I think it is important. I know that I know that online bullying is a factor. However, a lot of this really isn't intentional bullying. Like I think sometimes when parents hear me, because honestly that's how I approach it. I don't I don't want my kid to have uh, a delayed as long as I possibly could give them a phone. I don't want them on social media. Uh, the only email they're allowed to use uh, is the school email um, with a few exceptions um, because it's heavily, 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 heavily monitored. <laughs> um, and, and for me, the whole this whole time it was I'm going to protect my daughter from online bullying or some type of predator. But in, And so that's out there, but in reality, a lot of this psychological damage that's going on is not for what you would you would highlight as called necessarily bullying. It's just uh, it's just an innate emotional reaction that shapes a, an identity accidentally. Right, and yeah. it, it's it's the same stuff that happens in person. Right, but it's tempered in person again because you can see the response. Right, because you have that personal connection with someone, and, and your brain can read their signals. <laughs> your right. brain can read their facial cues, right. their their body signals. And tell you, whoa, pull back a second. Right. Um, don't don't push into this. Don't throw those words out there. Pull back a second. Yeah, yeah. This is so fascinating. Um, I you know I was my undergrads in communication theory, and I remember studying that um, you know something like ninety three percent of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. You know, it's just that seven percent. And back in the day, this this will date me. It was the uh, AOL instant messenger <laughs> and watching, you know, yeah. And I honestly said, you know, I didn't realize how fast the technology was going to develop, but that if I ever did a communications based PhD, it would be in how that communication actually works. Cause you're lacking the emotion of the tone and the body language. Yeah. And I think we've gotten our answer because, because reality, that's what's going on here. It's, right. I mean, the emojis kind of help a little bit, but even emojis have different meanings now too. Exactly, exactly. And so what happens is, is like you said, that 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 picture goes up, or you and you respond, mm -hmm. and it's it's the seven percent of communication, but it's permanent. And then you don't get the benefit of oh that response hurt me or the response is favorable. And then over time, the just sheer inundation of the information shapes your how you think people think about you and. You know, being parents of teenagers, we know how accurate they are with how other people think about them sometimes. <laughs> well, and I think, too, you know, we talk about how, oh, they now have access to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Right. 
even even parents, I, I've known parents who allow their kids to have social media and they're like, but I'm on it all the time. I'm right. always checking who their friends are and only allowing them to be friends with certain people. But you got to think your child normally has an interaction with three or four of those people at a time. Right. You know, they're normally just having an interaction in, in a small group. Now, even if it's just friends and family, people they actually know in real life, it might be a hundred or more. And they're interacting with all of them at the same time. Right. And so you're still getting a massive amount of feedback that is, that is more than their emotional, <laughs> their, their process. emotional self can handle. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so even if you're saying, well, I'm, I'm watching it, I'm monitoring, I'm keeping tabs on it. I just say delete it. Delete it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. Corey, this has been amazing. Um, we'll have you back uh, for another round, and, and we'll start to get into some practical things we can do, both yeah, to um, to monitor and help parents uh, in the fight, if you will. Um, but again, I just want to I just want to encourage all of you that are listening. Listen, I, again, I do not give dire warnings like this unless I absolutely believe it. But um, you know, I mentioned there was another uh, program, a sixty minute uh, whistleblower from Facebook appeared on sixty minutes this past weekend. They're testifying to Congress. They actually confirmed all the stuff that was in the uh, the, the uh, social dilemma documentary. I just think right now, unless something dramatically changes, it's just not worth it. It's you know, get them off, um, especially your younger teenagers. If you have not introduced it yet, uh, don't introduce it. And then, if even if they have a device, like monitor the mess out of it. Um, don't fall prey. We'll talk about this more next time. Don't fall prey into this attitude that your teenagers have the right to privacy. Um, if, they're, if they're in your house, uh, be a good parent, loving, give them, give them space to be who they are, but absolutely get into their world. And you only have a few years before it's all their world anyway. And, uh, and, and, and this place is dangerous enough uh, to really step up and, and be a loving, guarding voice in their life. So we'll, uh, we'll come back to this conversation again. Thanks for, thanks for checking us out. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, just a couple of things to, to kind of help wrap us up. Uh, first of all, I mentioned a couple of times the uh, 60 Minutes uh, whistleblower uh, interview that just aired this past weekend. I encourage you to find You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's not that I agree with everything that's in it, but it does confirm a lot of the concerns that we are addressing here. And the next week, uh, we're, I'm going to have Corey back with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about how you can put some of the protections into uh, your child's life in this area. He's got some very practical um, practical things that, that, that you can do. So I hope this was helpful for you. Let me pray for us, and we will wrap it up. So Lord God, I just thank you so much, Lord, that you call us to have the spirit of wisdom. And so I just ask for all those parents out there to have wisdom in this issue. And Lord, that you would give us guidance, influence with our kids' lives, and help them to, to raise them to, to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, listen, thank you again for listening to Harvest Talk. And as always, I, until next time, keep reaching people and building their lives. Take care.